So if you've been with us over the last few weeks at Mount Hope, you know we are walking through the Gospel of John together. There's four books in the Bible that talk about the ministry and the life of Jesus. Those books are found right at the beginning of the New Testament. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're walking through the book of John, one of the four books that talks about Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. And this morning we're going to be in John chapter 7. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to grab one out of the seats in front of you, or if you have an app on your phone or tablet you want to open, now is the time to do that. You can go to John chapter 7. We're going to be there in just a moment. Now, I don't know how many of you are like me, but let me tell you what happens to me, and you can tell me if you are similar uh, to me. Here's what happens to me. Whenever I go to a, a, like a small type of show, let's say, whether that's a, a comedy show or a, a, a dinner theater type show, or even when I'm at large events, uh, maybe I'll go to something at Fenway Park or I go to TD Garden or something like that. I, I'm the type of person, I don't know if you are like this, like I am, I'm the type of person that, and this might surprise you because I'm on stage sometimes, but when they start, when they ask for volunteers, when the actors at the dinner theater or when, or when the comedian or when they're at the garden and they start showing the audience on the jumbotron, I am the person that is praying that no one comes near me. I'm the person that I'm not going to raise my hand. I get, I get frustrated when people in front of me at the stadium start dancing around because they want to be on the jumbotron. Because if they get picked, then I know I'm going to be in the back of the screen looking like an idiot. Like, I just don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. And, and maybe that's you. In fact, it got so bad once. We were at a dinner theater in Manhattan. And it was in the bottom of an Italian restaurant. And, and it was some of the best Italian food I've ever had in my life. But this, this uh, show, the way the show worked was they constantly were asking for volunteers from the audience. And even though the food was incredible at intermission, we got out of there. Because we did not want to be picked. It's just not our style. I don't want to be called out of the audience to do anything. So that's me. Is anyone else with me? Is that you? You just don't want to be called out. You don't want to do that thing, right? Okay, so that's a few of you. Now here's the good news. There's a whole lot of you in the audience that based on that Uh, survey, you love being called out. You like to be the people on stage. So that's good because guess what? I'm going to ask for a few volunteers here this morning and we are going to act out part of John chapter 7 together. So the acting piece is going to come later in the the service here, but right now we're just going to gather the volunteers, okay? Now I'm happy with the results of this survey because like 30% of you don't like to be called out. That means 70% of you, unless you're lying right now in the church, unless you're a liar... You enjoy this. You love this. I asked you who's like me. And, and a lot of you said you weren't like me, which is great. Which is great. That means we have plenty of people to choose from. So here we go. Are you ready? In our story, in just a couple of minutes, we are going to need someone. We're going to need a man to play the priest. Now, you don't have to say anything if you're the priest, but you just have to do something. So is there someone who would be willing? Someone who'd be willing to start this thing off and play the part of the priest? Who's Avon Duncan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Avon. Thank you, Avon, for playing the part of the priest. Now, I need two people, and you're just going to, you know, play a real one. You're going to mime playing a trumpet. Who is willing? Who is willing to mime playing a trumpet? I need two people. We got plenty of time. We got no service after this. All right, we got two people right here. So when it's time to play the trumpet, when it's time to play the trumpet, you're in. Now I need two other people who are going to be the choir. Now you don't have to sing. You don't have to sing if you're the choir, but you're going to just, just be the choir, all right? Who's willing to be the choir? Who's willing to do it? I need two people to be the choir. Oh, thank you. I have one person, one more, one more who will join her to be the choir. 
Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. All right. See? See how fun this is? Okay, now, now, I need two people. I need two people who on Father's Day will step up and be men, okay? I need two men. Maybe you don't play a man in in your normal life. You wouldn't normally do this, but it is Father's Day, and you're going to step up. And you're going to play the part of the men in the audience in John chapter 7. So who among us are men who would be willing to play that part this morning? Who I need two. I, I know we got a lot of guys in here. I just need two of you to be men. Are there two men that will do this this morning? All right, Dennis, we have one. Who's one? Oh, all right, George, thank you so much. All right. So there, now breathe a sigh of relief. Because that's all the people we need this morning. We'll get there in a moment. All right. John chapter 7, here's what's happening. You know, it's funny how the Bible works sometimes because when things are happening in Bible times and Bible world, even though it's 2,000 years ago, it really isn't that different than what's happening today. Isn't it amazing how that works? In John chapter 7, when we start reading through this chapter, if you were to read this chapter from the beginning to the end, which we're not going to do all in one shot today, here's what you would find. Jesus now has been doing his ministry for over a year, meaning he's been going out into the countryside and teaching and healing people. Last week, of course, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, the bread of life and all those things. And then he's coming into the city, into the city in Jerusalem when there's festivals and feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate. And he's healing and teaching in the city when the city is crowded. And that's the rhythm of John's gospel. John talks about the times that there would be feasts and festivals in the city and Jesus comes and and speaks among the people and heals. And then between the feasts, he's out in the countryside teaching and healing. And that's the rhythm of the gospel of John. And so at this point, there's a lot of confusion among the people as to who Jesus is. It's just like that in our day. If I was to go out and we were to do a survey of 10 people and we were to walk around Burlington this afternoon and ask 10 different people who Jesus is, we would get at least 10 different answers. And I bet many of them would not be the biblical answer, who the Bible says Jesus is. And just like we would get a lot of different answers about who Jesus is, if we were to ask today, the same thing was happening among the people. So the city of Jerusalem in John chapter 7 is packed. Something called the Feast of Tabernacles is happening, the Feast of Booths, and it was a a harvest celebration. So the harvest had just been brought in, and the people would come to Jerusalem to thank God, and it was a joyous, festive occasion. This was not a time to come and be thoughtful. This was not a time to come and to, and to, be, uh, to be quiet. This was a time to come together and to rejoice and to celebrate and to party. It was a festive atmosphere in Jerusalem. And there's an old historian named Josephus. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't Jewish. He was Roman. And he was writing history at the time of Jesus. And sometimes the things that that the Roman historian Josephus wrote are really helpful when it comes to understanding the context of the Bible. And he writes that the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, it's called both, was, was one of the most celebrated festivals in the city of Jerusalem. So you had, we know Passover and we know some of these other ones, but at the time and in the context, this party to celebrate the end of the harvest was really well attended. Everybody would come into the city for this party. And so the city of Jerusalem was packed for the celebration and the worship of the God who had provided for the harvest. And all the while there's this buzz about this guy, Jesus, 
who's healing and doing things. And as the, the city of Jerusalem fills up for this big festival that lasts seven days, Jesus is, is not there. In fact, he's still out in the countryside. And the first bit of confusion that you see in the passage about Jesus is actually from Jesus' own family. His brothers are with him outside of Jerusalem, and they know that the festival has begun. And they say to themselves, why wouldn't Jesus want to be there? There's tens of thousands of people in, in the city of Jerusalem. Why would Jesus not show up? And in John chapter 7, verse 3, we read this. They say, his brother said to Jesus, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. Get out of here and go into the city. And so the confusion begins right away with Jesus. His own brothers are wondering, what in the world is he up to? Why would he stay out here? Isn't his mission to go to these people? And the people that were gathering in the city of Jerusalem, you see in, ver in, in verse 12 of chapter 7, they're confused too. You see, they're getting together and they're talking to one another and they're milling around in the hallways of the temple and the courtyards outside of the temple. And they're saying to each other, you know, some, some people were saying, Jesus is a good man. This is a good thing. And other people were saying to each other, no, he's leading them astray. I mean, you can see how this would happen, right? It's hard enough for us to get on the same page and we have a lot of methods of communication, at how hard it is to spread good information in today's world. We're always wondering if what we're receiving is good information or not, and we have all sorts of channels to receive information and send information. This is just word of mouth. Jesus does something miles away, and the word spreads one person to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And you remember that old game telephone that you used to play when you were a kid? By the time it gets to the end, who knows what the message is? And so there's all these different messages about Jesus, and some people have heard what he's doing, and they've concluded, this is a good guy. And other people have heard what Jesus is doing, and they've concluded, he's leading people astray. And this happens for day one of the feast, and day two of the feast, and day three of the feast. All of this confusion, but then something happens in the middle of the feast. And in verse 14, we see, halfway through the feast, it's a seven-day feast, Jesus comes up to the temple and begins to teach. And you would think that Jesus walking into the city of Jerusalem halfway through this seven-day feast and beginning to teach in the temple would end the confusion. But oh no, the confusion just continues. In fact, as he's teaching, it says that some people marveled, saying, how is it that this man has, has learning when he's never studied? That who is this guy that's teaching? He's teaching with authority. He's teaching with, with, with power. He understands the scriptures and they're confused. Who is this guy? In fact, as Jesus is teaching and people are listening, some people even go so far to conclude that Jesus has a demon. And then other people are just confused that Jesus is allowed to speak at all. Some of them are watching him speak, and this is what it says in verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. So some people are saying, this guy has a demon. Other people are saying, why are they allowing him to speak? Why wouldn't they shut this guy down? And still other people, in verse 31 it says, yet other people in the midst of all of this chaos believed in him. So as we begin this story, as we begin chapter 7, there is all this confusion around who Jesus is. And the same thing happens in today's world, doesn't it? If we were to ask 10 different people, who is Jesus? 
Who is Jesus? We would get 10 different answers. And there's all these ideas, all this confusion about who Jesus is. And if we went out into our world, we could find people who said Jesus is a great guy, a great teacher. We could find people that, who would say that Jesus is the number one problem in our world today, that we need to get rid of that ideology, that it divides people and, and it's backwards and it's wrong. And we could find people that would say Jesus is the Messiah. We must believe in him. We could find all of those things in our world today. I'll tell you what I need many times in my life. Many times in my life, amidst all of the confusion, amongst all the questions, amongst all the different ideas, I need God to come in and provide absolute clarity and just keep it simple sometimes and remind me exactly who he is. I don't know if you're like that. But there's so many things that happen in our world, so many ideas. Everyone you talk to has a different idea. You have an idea and I have an idea. But I need, I need God to break through all of that and provide true clarity in my life. And so Jesus walks into all of this confusion in John chapter 7. And in a moment... For you and for me and for all of the people gathered in the city of Jerusalem, in one sentence, in one moment, provides absolute clarity for the people as to who he is. So how does he do that? Well, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the Feast of Booths. And here's what happens in this feast. When this feast occurs, even now, so this year, the Feast of Tabernacles were happened from September 23rd to September 30th. And if you were to look, and if you look across the street at the end of September at the synagogue that's right at the end of our driveway here at McGinnis Drive, right across the street is the synagogue, they'll have a booth constructed right out in the grass in front of the synagogue because this is still celebrated. And if you were go to the city of Jerusalem, booths would pop up all over the city for this celebration. And what these are is all of these temporary structures follow, follow a very specific rabbinical building code. And they are built in such a way that the wind can still be felt as it whips through the walls. And there's holes in the roof so that you can still see the, the stars and the sun and the sky during the day. It's a very temporary structure, and what it's designed to do is, is as the people are celebrating God's goodness, as they're celebrating uh, his blessing through the harvest, they are reminded of their ancestors and how their ancestors had to live when they came out of Egypt, out of slavery, and wandered the desert for 40 years. And so it's a reminder of God's goodness to the people over the ages, that God took care of their ancestors when they were going through the wilderness. And so they remember how their ancestors lived and remembered God's goodness. And then they celebrate God's goodness in the midst of the harvest that they've just taken in. And the whole thing is this joyous celebration and occasion. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, through everything that the people do, still today, they are both looking backward and they're looking forward. They're looking back and they're looking ahead. And they do it on two different levels. They do it physically and they do it spiritually. So physically, the people look back and they remember how God provided for the people in the desert. And some of you that have been in church world for a while, you know the stories. How God provided water in the middle of the desert. How he brought it out of the rock so that the people could drink and the people could be fulfilled. When you're in the middle of the desert, if you've watched the survival shows on the Discovery Channel like I have, and you've watched the person go out and try to live for a week, what's the first thing they need? They need water. And so God provided that for his people in the middle of the desert. And the people remember. And then they look forward 
And they say, God is going to continue to provide for us all that we need, all the rain we need for this year's crops, everything we need for life and sustenance, God is going to continue to provide. So they look backward and they look forward, but they also do it spiritually. And the people look back and they say, not only has God been the one to sustain our people physically, but God has sustained us physically and uh, and spiritually. And all of the verses that are used, all of the imagery that are used are, are surround the idea of water and thirst. And so they'll use verses like Isaiah chapter 12, verse three, which says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they'll remember that when we thirst spiritually, God is the one who quenches that thirst. And then they look forward. And then the people look forward. And the Old Testament, some of the prophets, and we don't have time to get into all of this today, but the Old Testament prophets speak of a day when God will pour out his spirit and love in a new way. You read chapters like Ezekiel 47 or Zechariah 13. It talks about God pouring out his spirit in a new way. And the imagery that is used is like rivers coming out of the house of David or like a river coming out of the temple. And so there's going to be this new day, this new age where God pours out his spirit in a new way. And the imagery is this river flowing out of the temple. And so the the people are here in the midst of this celebration. They're saying God provides for us. He will provide for us. God quenches our spiritual thirst and there will be a day when God does this amazing pouring out of his spirit like never before. And they're looking backward and they're looking forward. Now, with all they do in the Feast of Tabernacles, I hope you're still with me here. I know it's a big history lesson. With all they do in the Feast of Tabernacles, the biggest thing, get ready volunteers. I saw Dennis sneak out. I saw that. We got to get Dennis back. Of all the things Of all the things that happened during the Feast of Tabernacles, the daily water rite or the daily water ritual was a big, big deal. And so here's what we need. We are going to act out this daily water ritual right now. So Avon, Avon, come on up. Would you welcome Avon? Avon is our priest. Avon is our priest this morning. Welcome Avon. And then, and then we had our trumpeters. Who's, who's playing the trumpet? Come on up. If you raise, oh, there we got our trumpeters. Come on up. And we have our choir, right? Our choir, come on up. And who else was in the choir? Yes, Cheryl, come on up. So if you're playing the trumpet, you can stand right up here on stage. And if you're in the choir, why don't you stand right down here? This will be our choir spot here, right? And then, and then we have uh, people who are really getting out of themselves and playing men this morning, right? So we have Dennis. I know Dennis. Uh, who else was our... Oh, George is playing the part of a man this morning. Thank you, George. Come on up. George, come on up and stand on the stage here. It's like a lackluster applause. They're not very excited about that. There you go. All right, and Dennis, he'll come back. He'll come back eventually. Now. All right, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Come on up. The nephew saves the day. Thank you. Now. These aren't really real to the time. Okay, but here's our choir. We have our choir. This isn't exactly historically accurate, right? But we have our choir. And then, all right, this is, this is what would happen. So the men, the men that were gathered in the temple. Now, you got to think with me. We have like 100 some people here, 110, 120 people in the room. We're talking tens of thousands of people gathered together for this water, right? 
So you got to picture this with me. We have two men up here, but our two men represent thousands of men. We have two choirs here, two choir members here, but there's hundreds of people in a choir at the temple. And we have trumpeters, but this is multiple trumpeters, all with big, long animal horns called shofars that are ready to blow those and make a joyful noise. So here's what the men would do. Every man in the audience, this is not a special group. This is every man in the audience. You are going to feel so manly. <laughs> this is true. They would hold in their left hand a citrus fruit. All right, I've chosen oranges. All right. Yeah, with, with the barcode. They all had barcodes in that day. And then they would hold a willow tree, a willow branch, a myrtle branch, and a palm branch all tied together. That's the closest I have, okay? So that's what we have uh, in the closet. So, uh, but they would hold a branch in their right hand. Now, here's what would happen. This happened every single day for seven days during the festival. Everyone would gather anticipation would build. Remember, this is a joyous, festive occasion. This is a party. This is not everyone being solemn. This is people rejoicing in the Lord for his goodness. The priest would travel down to a place called the Pool of Siloam, and the, the whole crowd would follow him. So you're not going to follow this morning. Now, we don't have a pool of Siloam. That was an ancient pool built by King Hezekiah, uh, and its waters were thought to have healing power. But we do have a baptism tank. So our priest is going to journey to our baptism tank and get the pitcher of water. So it was a golden pitcher, and the priest would go and dip this golden pitcher in the waters of the Pool of Siloam and would bring it back. And so our priest is going to go get our pitcher of water. And now when the priest would return into the city, the priest would come into the city. Now think of this, of the city of Jerusalem. There's a giant wall with multiple gates. They would enter in what's called the water gate and come back towards the temple. Now as the priest, hang on priest, as the priest is coming back towards the temple and the whole crowd is following the, the priest with them, the trumpeters would be outside of the temple. They would be welcoming the people back to the temple and they would blow their trumpets. Let's hear it. All right, yeah. No valves, no valves. That's all right. That was very good, very good. So they would blow their trumpets, and it would be it, it would be this massive noise. And when the trumpeters blew their trumpets, the choir. The choir would begin to sing, and the choir would sing what's called the Hillel. That's Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So choir, if you could, if you could recite Psalm 113, Psalm 114, Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible, and Psalm 118, go. No, I'm just kidding. No, but but the choir would sing those psalms, and there would be hundreds of people singing the psalms, and as the priest is coming and the trumpets are blaring, the choir sings, and let's do just one line, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you just shout it? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ready? One, two, three. Excellent. And the choir would sing. So the trumpets are blowing and the choir is singing. And then the men who were gathered, every man who was gathered, would hold up a piece of citrus fruit in his left hand and hold up the branches in his right hand and they would shout, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And so the priest is coming, come on priest, and the priest is coming up and the choir is singing and the trumpets are blowing and every man, thousands of men in the place is holding up a piece of fruit, holding up the branches, branches, screaming, give thanks to the Lord. And the priest would come and proceed around the altar, which you don't have to do, and then pour out the water before the Lord. The priest would pour out the water. Now they would do this every day. Day one and day two and day three and day four, day five, day six. And on the seventh day, the priest would proceed around the altar seven times. 
And picture everything that's going on. You have the water being poured out. The crowds gathered. Tens of thousands of people. The trumpets. The choir. The, the men shouting and holding up the branches and the fruit. And in the middle of all of this, one man stood up and shouted. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And all of a sudden, every ear and every eye knew exactly who this person was claiming to be. Now, there's a lot of argument if Jesus did this on the seventh day or if Jesus did this on the eighth day, which was a Sabbath day or a day of rest. But I can tell you two things are true. Jesus did this when the temple was full. And when Jesus said those words, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink, every single Jewish person in the temple knew exactly what he was saying. Would you thank our, our team? Would you thank our volunteers? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. You can go ahead and have a seat. Now, what was Jesus saying? In that one sentence, this is what Jesus was saying. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus was saying, everything that you're looking back on and everything that you're looking forward to is fulfilled in me. You want clarity in the midst of confusion? Everything you're looking back on, the provision God has given, the provision he's going to give, everything that you're looking back on, how God spiritually provides for his people and how he's going to pour out his spirit one day, everything that you're celebrating over these seven days, it is fulfilled in me. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one from whom you are to drink. And in the midst of all the confusion and all the celebration, Jesus, in one line, brings absolute clarity to the people. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Well, here's the thing. All of us thirst. And it happens in two ways. The first is physically, right? We get thirsty. My, my wife um, signed me up to be an assistant soccer coach for my daughter's uh, five and six-year-old soccer team. And then she told me about it later. And so I'm doing it. <laughs> and and uh, so yesterday, we were out there, and it was like one in the afternoon. It was hot. So what did we do more of yesterday than any other week that we've gathered? We drank water. We took water breaks with these girls. Every five minutes, every seven minutes, they were drinking more water. Because we know what to do. You know what to do. When you're thirsty, there are things you should do, and there are things that you should not do. If you're thirsty and you intake a bunch of salt, it's going to be bad for you, Right? If you're thirsty and you drink a bunch of caffeine, it's going to be bad for you. There are certain things when you're thirsty you take in and certain things you don't. And what's the best thing for you to take in when you're thirsty? Water. We know that our bodies are specifically made and created in a way that our physical thirst can be satisfied by water. We know that. But we don't just thirst physically, do we? We also thirst spiritually. I have never met a person, no matter how spiritual and centered and balanced they are, that does not have some sort of restlessness inside of them that they are trying to fulfill, trying to quench, trying to figure out. That's why the self-help industry is a multi-billion dollar industry is because we all have this thing. We're all spiritually thirsty where we're trying to figure out something that's going to quench that thirst. And we look for it all sorts of places. You have places that you look in your life, and I have things that I do in my life where I'm trying to figure out a way to quench this spiritual thirst that exists. And for some of us, we're trying to quench it through achievement. 
That whole process of going and achieving and, and doing well and getting the next job and getting the next degree and trying to climb higher and higher up the ladder and making more money so we can buy more things. Some of us are trying to, to quench that thirst that we have through that methodology. And some of us, we do it through relationships. We do it through relationships. We do it through sex. We do it through, through, uh, through idolatrizing our family. We put all of the emphasis and all of the weight on the people that are closest to us. And we say, maybe if I, if I just experience enough of this in life, or maybe if I just get in the right relationship with family or with another person, that that's finally going to quench this spiritual thirst that's inside of me. And so we use things and we use money and we use achievement and we use people to try and fix this thing that's inside of us. And some of us can't figure it out there. And so some of us use things like alcohol or some of us use things like drugs to try and figure out a way to quench this spiritual thirst inside of us. And I think there's a lot of things, this might be complicated. I think there's a lot of things that are just being prescribed to people today because people are coming in, they're saying, I'm spiritually thirsty. And they're saying, here, take this, maybe it will help. And the problem is, the problem is no matter how much we go into this, no matter how many drugs we legalize, no matter how many, we, how many places we go to try and quench this spiritual thirst, nothing is going to happen because you know what it's like? It's like being physically thirsty and just eating a bunch of pretzels and peanuts. It might make you feel a little bit better for a moment, but in the end, you're just going to be thirstier. You're going to have to achieve more. You're going to have to get another degree you're going to have to make more money because what you already made wasn't satisfying enough. You're going to have to take more. You're going to have to experience more. You're going to have to do more because what fulfilled you yesterday is not going to fulfill you tomorrow. And all of these things we turn to and try to use to quench our spiritual thirst, they just don't work. And you know why? Because just like you were uniquely created and made so that water would quench your physical thirst, you are uniquely created and made so that Jesus Christ will quench your spiritual thirst. That's how you're designed. That's the part that's missing. And the only place to be able to go and to have that spiritual thirst quenched is to go and do what Jesus Christ invites you to do, and that is to drink from him. But there's a condition. And the condition Jesus puts on it is if anyone thirsts. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to recognize that you are thirsty? Are you willing to recognize that you are thirsty? Are you willing to recognize that there's something inside of you that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world and can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ? Because if you are thirsty, Jesus invites you to come and to drink. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verse. In verse 37, he gives the invitation. In verse 38, he says, whoever believes, that's what it means to drink. It means to believe. Whoever believes in, him, in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And here's what happens. And when I believe in Jesus and he grants me this living water, when I experience his presence and he satisfies my soul in a way that no one else can, I become not a receptacle. I become not a cistern that I just take in all of this water and hold it for myself. Jesus grants me his spirit by which I become a river, by which I become a conduit for the, for the spirit of God to flow through me. And Jesus says, that's what it looks like. He says, you rivers, spirits of, rivers of living water flow through you. And he says right in the next verse, John tells us this is what he's talking about. Now he said this about the spirit, for those, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
You and I know how to solve our physical thirst. We do it through water. But how do you solve that spiritual thirst? The only way to solve that thirst is to come to Jesus Christ and to believe in him, to put your trust in them, and then to allow his spirit to do the work that only his spirit can do inside of you, to allow his spirit to flow through you so that life is totally rearranged and different. What does it look like when God's spirit flows through you? It means that when you get up in the morning to the, de- to the time that you go to bed, that your mind and heart is focused on the things of God. That all of a sudden, all those priorities and all those achievements that you are fighting for and going after, all of those come into context of who God is and the life that he's calling you to live. All of a sudden, the people around you, those are not people that you're just using to get ahead. Those are not just people that you're trying to get to know so that your network grows and you can become better. Those are people who God created and God loves, that God has sent to you, that you might love them in the way that God has called you to love them. You are freed up to live the life that God calls you to live. And there is nothing more satisfying than getting rid of all of the junk of this world and pushing it all aside and drinking from Jesus Christ and allowing his spirit to flow through you and living the life that God has called you to live. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And here's the reality of this passage. We might leave this morning, we might leave this morning and you might walk out in the hallways and you might say things like, you know what, I never knew that about John chapter seven. I never knew that about the Feast of Tabernacles. I never knew that this was this whole thing and then Jesus stood up and said this statement in the middle of it. That's so interesting. If we walk out in the hallways and that's all we say to each other this morning, I think we failed in our service. Because the whole idea of coming to understand that Jesus is the one who satisfies our soul, the whole idea of coming together and understanding that the Holy Spirit is living and active and wants to work through you, is for us to come together and actually drink from Jesus Christ. It's not for us to come together and to ascend to some idea. It's not for us to come together and walk out of here and say, oh, I now know Jesus is the one who gives living water. And he did this in the middle of this festival. No, it's, it's to come together and drink from Jesus together. It's to come together and experience his spirit together. That idea is reality. And the spirit of God is living and active and is alive among us. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're unsatisfied, if you're sitting here this morning and you're unfulfilled, if you're sitting here this morning and you're sick and tired of going down the exact same roads and ending up more and more unsatisfied and more and more thirsty, if you're so frustrated because you can't figure out your family, or you're so frustrated because you can't figure out work, or you're so frustrated because you can't figure out school and how your life is going to go, you are invited this morning to come and to drink. And I don't know about you, but I can't in my relationship with Jesus Christ ask enough for his spirit to come and flow in and through me that request never gets old there's never enough of that happening in my life and I don't know if you followed Jesus for one day or a hundred years but you could use more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life I know that Amen. so you ready to drink this morning not just think about this idea not just know that Jesus can satisfy you. you ready to drink this morning I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want you to think with me for a moment. If God's talking to you today, you know who you are. 
And maybe you've been looking all sorts of places to try and find satisfaction. Maybe you've been drinking in all these different places, but all that happens in your heart and your soul is you're more and more thirsty. This morning is a morning to come and drink from Jesus Christ, to believe in him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've believed in Jesus for a long time, but this is something that's become head knowledge and it's no longer heart knowledge. And you need this morning God's spirit to fill you in a new and fresh way. You need this morning for God's spirit to work through you in a new way. Not just that you know in your mind that you have the Holy Spirit, but that you are experiencing in your life the power of God's spirit. If that's you this morning and you're saying, I need more of that, I'm going to ask you to respond to what God is saying. Not just in your heart, not just in your mind. But I'm going to ask you right now if you would lift your hand and just say before the Lord, God, this is me. I need more of that today. There's a number of hands up around the room this morning. As we worship this morning, some of our leaders are going to be up front at the altar. And here's the deal. Let's not waste this time that we have together this morning. Let's come and experience the power of the presence of God's Spirit. Let's come and let's experience the power of coming and asserting our belief in Jesus Christ. And let's experience His presence together. And so when we worship, I invite you, whether you had your hand up in this moment or whether God's speaking to you right now, that you would come and either kneel at this altar or come to one of our leaders. And our leaders will specifically pray for you this morning for more of God's Spirit in your life life, for greater belief in your life. So God, in these next few moments, would your spirit be at work among us? Would you do the work that only you can do? can't be found in a textbook. It can't be explained. It can't be described. It is only the work that you can do. God, would you do that work among us this morning? And Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives? We give you honor and we give you glory.